If you have a Bible, you can open to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Um, we're going to concentrate our focus there on one uh, particular verse. Um, <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one. It's our uh, gift to you if you need to keep it, or if you just want to borrow it, that's perfectly fine. You can stick it back when it's done. Justin, did you get pushed out of the way? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. These are kids' bulletins, man. Kids, okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, as well, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, open your Bible app right now and track along with the uh, live event that we have with all the scriptures and sermon notes and so forth. So I'll uh, tell you a little bit about the next five weeks. We're going to be um, under this big theme of Go Live that for this season in our church is going to be kind of our rallying cry, Go Live. Now, a couple of you have already said, I thought it was Go Live. Well, it's not quite that, but we appreciate that. Thanks for thinking with us. It's Go Live. And so um, under this big banner over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the things that make us uniquely us. Here's great news. You don't have to be me. Isn't that good news? I don't have to be you. That's even better news for me. That's even better news for me. Uh, and so uh, previously, even before Harvey, there was a group uh, who had gathered together and were working through some things. Um, one of the great lessons that we came uh, into and, and really did some good work with was just as I don't have to be you, you don't have to be me. Do you, did you know that our church doesn't have to be a different church around here? I mean, there are good churches in Southeast Houston. Yes, everybody? We do collide with them. We do uh, one. We do several other, um, you know, kind of community-wide events. And so uh, it's good for us not to be them and for them not to be us. We don't have to be Calvary. We don't have to be Bay Area or Friendswood or anybody else. We can just be uh, who God has called us to be as Heritage Park. And so for us, under uh, for the next um, season in our church life, under this banner of Go Live. Now, if you've been around us as a church family, I'll just pause and say this. If you've been around us as a church family, this has been a part of us for a long, long time, right? Uh, that we would leave here like what we said and what we sung was true, that we would go live like Jesus reigns over everything. That's how we um, uh, dismiss ourselves every week. Under this banner of Go Live, um, we'll be uh, living and, and thinking about ministry and, and pushing ourselves and being pushed by the Holy Spirit. So uh, these next five weeks are going to concentrate on some of the things that make us uniquely us. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, kind of a, a statement or whatever, this is not um, uh, what's crucial for us. Um, is, is this kind of DNA that's deep in us. And so um, we kind of framed it out, something like this, that we would be people, we, we as a church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ who live. There's that word, who live. Because Christianity is not about bad and good. Christianity is about death and life. Who live to pursue God, love well, and serve the world. That's, that's, that's a good calling for us as a church. Um, these five things are the things that, uh, that we'll look at over the next five weeks are the things that make us uniquely us under which we will go and live. And the first one is gospel transformation. Everybody say that with me. Gospel transformation. What do you mean by that? That there is good news for you and for me, and it doesn't uh, uh, crush us, but instead it changes us. That's why we gather Sunday after Sunday. It's why we sit in groups. It's why we uh, uh, do the ministry that we do. It's why we push the way that we do so that you and I would be genuinely and indeed radically transformed, changed from the inside out. And so in Matthew chapter five, Jesus is in the middle of preaching the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. How do you know this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached? Well, it takes about 11 minutes. 
I'm not as good of a preacher as Jesus is, okay? Mine is going to be longer. Uh, so uh, he's talking here in, in Matthew 5, and he's talking about the kinds of, of, of uh, righteous people here um, that, that are in, in the earth. And he says there is a wrong kind of righteousness and a right kind of righteousness, a good kind of righteousness. This is where we are in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of the heavens. That's the verse we want to lock on to. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, we'll never enter the kingdom of the heavens. So there's a, a wrong kind of righteousness. And that, that it can be summarized like this, that the most religious people missed the kingdom altogether. They were standing on the side of the road, the kingdom came parading right by, and they missed it. They just missed it. Who were the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the religious and political leaders of the day, and those two things were intertwined. There was not separation of church and say It is something along the lines of... Um, uh, uh, kind of like the Taliban in, in Afghanistan where there are religious, sure, religious leaders, but also they have political influence. I'm not calling the Pharisees the Taliban. That's not really what I'm saying. But I, in your mind, in terms of a modern day uh, example of that, it would be something like that where the religious leaders are also the political leaders of the day. That's who the scribes and the Pharisees are. And everybody looked up to them. Everybody said, those are the kind of people that you want to uh, kind of become and be like. Uh, you want to, you know, th that's the model, if you will. They are the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, uh, religious royalty, if you will. Um, what did they teach and do? Why, why did they miss the kingdom? Um, they, they taught, uh, they, they were serious. This is something for them, like a, a check mark for them. They were serious about the law. The law that God had passed down, they were serious about these things. And so I'll just give you a for instance. Uh, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's one of the big 10, right? One of the big 10 commandments, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. They were so serious about that, they created, they took that rule and they created rules around that rule to protect you so that you wouldn't break that rule. So they fenced it in, so to speak. So it would be like, um, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, that meant that you could not uh, uh, um, you know, do significant work. Instead, like you had to gather the sticks to burn the wood uh, the next day. I mean, excuse me, the day before, so that you didn't do that on the Sabbath. Well, if you got caught carrying sticks on the Sabbath, you could only carry sticks from your little woodpile outside into your house so that your family could have a fire to bake bread. If you got carrying sticks otherwise, you were breaking the law. So they not only had the law and the law around the law, but they had the law around the law. So they had three different layers. Why? Because they wanted to protect and, and really kind of get in on this. They were highly religious, and they missed the kingdom altogether. Why? What is this wrong kind of righteous? It can be described like this, that obedience is the essence of it. Obedience is the essence. What do you mean by that? They thought that they were on God's team strictly because of what they could do for him or what they did in his name. And some of you grew up in houses or churches just like that. Hey, God likes you because you do this, this, and this. When you don't do that, oh, God's up there like this. Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, God, God's picking you to be on his team because of the way that you could do that thing or this other thing. That you think obedience is the essence. The second part that goes with that uh, would be something, well, and I'll just pause here and give you some examples. Um, it, it is not... 
It is not the way that the scribes and the Pharisees demonstrated their righteousness. It was the way that they were made righteous and the way that they maintained their righteousness before God. The second part of that, and the reason it's so wrong, is because not only was obedience the essence of their righteousness, but also appearances are everything. When it comes to these guys, appearances are everything. Because even if I'm not righteous, even if I'm boiling up on the inside, guess what? I'm going to look like I'm righteous. I'm going to put on a smile. I'm going to you know, do whatever it takes. Um, even though it's, it's this way on the inside, I'm going to appear differently on the outside because I don't want anybody else to think that I'm not righteous and call me out on it. And so they would do stuff. Jesus gave all sorts of examples. They would do stuff like uh, they had these things called phylacteries. They were these boxes that they attached to their headgear uh, and they would fill them full of scriptures and stuff and walk around and do this. When they prayed, um, they would have, they would like put on preacher voice. Anybody know people like this? Uh, Lord, thou art the greatest. And they would stand there and make sure that they were really, really loud. And they would make sure that the content of their prayer set them apart from others. So Jesus actually calls one guy out. Uh, he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. None of us have ever prayed that way before, right? Just in case, uh, you know, you may be focused on appearances or everything. When they gave money in the temple, um, they, they would, for instance, if they gave $100, they wouldn't bring in a $100 bill, one single Benjamin. They would bring in $100 worth of pennies, unrolled, right? I mean, they're not dropping, uh, they're like unrolled. So that it, when it went into the big metal thing, clank, 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 clank. Oh my gosh, look how much they're giving. Clank, 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 all of this stuff. They would even uh, uh, go through uh, different uh, things. This, Jesus picks this up in Matthew f- uh, 15, Mark 7 the, is the parallel, um, where they would say, hey, listen, uh, you know, I should be using some of my money to take care of my parents, but I'm giving it to the temple instead to benefit uh, you know, this other, this other situation. And, and, and they would benefit when somebody else would do it in their name. So they were kind of triangulating so that they didn't have to take care of their parents. Jesus looks at him and goes, ooh, that's not good, people. He had a word for them, and he used this word more of the scribes and the Pharisees uh, uh, than any other description. When, when somebody is saying one thing on the outside, but doing something else on the inside, what do we call that? That's right, a hypocrite. And that is the phrase that he used over and over and over again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's the wrong kind of righteous. Um, To exceed, he says here in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, to exceed it, you don't need a different level of this kind of righteous. Some people think, oh, well, there were too many laws. We need to take those away. Or some people thought, well, I just need bigger laws. And so there are two, I mean, either way they approach that, that's the completely wrong way to do it. You don't exceed the wrong kind of righteous by adjusting the level, right? That's not the way you do it. You have to get something different altogether. When people came along and they said, uh, hey, I just want to have, uh, you know, let, let's just take away a few laws, a few of these extraneous things, and it won't be a big thing. Jesus didn't let them do that. Verse 17, look in Matthew chapter 5. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? To fulfill them. And so then Jesus now, the law fulfiller, is at work in, in, in his people and people who follow him. And guess what? We then get to go about and fulfill the law also. 
Um, some people say, well, Jesus doesn't really care about what I do. That's the way that they want to have a, a different kind of righteousness. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I do very much care about this. And he even has all of these things, these pictures, if you will, of what he's doing. He's preaching a sermon on what this kind of life looks like. He came to fulfill the law. Some people say, oh, okay, I get it. If we're going to exceed this kind of righteousness, then we don't only, not only need to embrace this stuff, but we like got to add even bigger, badder, harsher laws on top of it. And that's how they read the rest of Matthew 5. Jesus, you heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't get angry. What is that? That's just a bigger law. No, that is not what Jesus is doing there. He's trying to paint a picture of a whole different kind of life. He doesn't add more laws and harsher rules um, to our uh, to, to our lives. That's not the kind of righteousness that he's after. In fact, he is aiming for a different target altogether, and the weapon that he is using as he's taking aim is a vision of life that's, that's different altogether. So let's talk about Jesus' kind of righteous. If you're going to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you don't take their wrongness and adjust it. That's not what we're after. We have to t- have a different target altogether. Jesus aims at the heart. And when we say heart, I know Valentine's Day is around the corner, some of you guys who got Valentine's Day is around the corner. And, and, and we will have, you know, cards and all this kind of stuff and red and pink and whatever. Uh, the emotional side is not what Jesus is aiming at. The biblical heart is the very core of who you are. The deepest part of the deepest part. And Jesus wants to aim his, his, uh, his power there because if he gets hold of that, he gets hold of the rest Two, he's not going to settle for some sort of external um, conformity. He does not settle for external conformity, but instead conquers our hearts so that we do the kinds of things that he says are best to do and do them in the ways that he says are best to do them. Why is this important? Because this turns obedience on its head. If you've been around our church family at all, you know, you probably could even repeat what I'm about to say. Um, it, It goes like this. Jesus doesn't want you to obey. He wants to transform you into the kind of person who normally obeys him. Do you hear the difference? You've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I can go through life more or less and probably not murder. Do you think that makes me righteous? In fact, there's a lot of people who could go through life and not murder. Are they righteous? No, no. I'm telling you, don't get angry. Oh, now we're dealing with stuff that's deep down inside of here. He's aiming at the heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's, I mean, he's pressing down here. He's trying to paint this picture that says, you're not going to get away with just kind of this external obedience and, and this appearance over everything, he doesn't want us to obey, to, but to transform us into the kinds of people who normally obey. Well, what about our action then? Are we just going to sit around and just, no, no, no. Your action is still very much necessary. Uh, but there is still work to do. There, he fills up the rest of the sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He fills up the rest of the sermon with what this looks like and, and even practices that we can use. Um, hey, uh, you know, you're struggling with greed. This is Matthew chapter 6. You're struggling with greed. Guess what? You should start giving, because giving breaks greed. Uh, You're struggling with self-reliance. You should pray, because prayer breaks that. You're struggling with giving in to every desire that you have. I think I should have what I want and want it now. So you should fast. This is all Matthew 6. I'm telling you, don't worry. What? What? 
He's centering on our hearts to say to us, yeah, don't worry, because there's a Father in the heavens who knows exactly what you need. And if you seek Him first and, and His kind of rightness, guess what? Everything else gets added to you, and you don't have to borrow trouble from tomorrow. That's Matthew 6, right there. I mean, over and over and over again, He's aiming at our hearts. Um, and he wants to transform us. That's why we call it gospel transformation. It is a kind of righteous that takes from the very core of who we are and begins to build out from there. How do we get a hold of something like that? We have to just say it this way. It comes by faith. Now, scribes and Pharisees, they thought that this kind of righteousness came by their performance. Not Jesus. Not the people of Jesus. It comes by faith. If you have your Bible, flip over to the right to the book of Philippians. We've done a lot in the, in, in, um, the guy who wrote the Philippians, uh, letter to the Philippians was named Paul. We've done a lot of this lately because we've been preaching through Acts. But in Philippians chapter 3, he says it just about as succinctly as we could uh, get to here. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, 7. We're going to go back to Matthew 5 in just a second, but just listen to this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I put them on the Dung pile is what he's saying, the trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, there it is, through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him. That's where this leads, is into a relationship with Him, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This righteousness that Jesus is offering for you and for me, the reason why it's good news for you and for me is that we don't have to perform for it. There's no dancing you have to do. There's no discipline you have to endure. He gives it to you by faith. You receive it by faith faith and then it comes inside of you and it begins to take over. And yes, because he's already fulfilled the law for us, it's good news. Because he's done that for us, then you and I get to respond in obedience in a completely different way. We are transformed from the inside out. And, and along with that, as we try to live out and follow Jesus, is anybody going to like stumble and miss the mark? Anybody? Anybody going to sin? Everybody is. Look down the row, you're sitting next to sinners. Every one of them. Good news. The righteousness that Jesus offers to us, the, the transformation that comes to the gospel includes as a component of it, forgiveness for that. It is not just a one-time thing. It is you and I get to live in a relationship with God who is willing and able to forgive you for the sins that you commit. We get Forgiveness, but it's bigger than that. I mean, that would be enough, but it's bigger than that. He also sets us free. He talks here about uh, uh, um, counting everything as loss because the surpassing worth. He suffered the loss of all things. Count them as trash, rubbish, that I might gain Christ. Um, this is a kind of freedom that is ours. A freedom that says, hey, listen, if I trade this for him, I mean, if, like, I get Jesus here. And that's a good trade. That's a good trade. Like, 
I, I don't have to be greedy. I can have Jesus. I, can, I don't have to be, uh, 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 desire the wrong things. I can have Jesus. And on and on, like I can trade all of these things over and over again. And guess what? That's where true freedom is found. Our culture says freedom is in just doing whatever you want to. Jesus says freedom is wanting to do the right things and then getting, the, getting to actually do those things. That's a completely different way to live. That is a transformational way to live. And every person in here, every person needs it. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? You need this. You need him to fulfill the law on your behalf. You need him to forgive you of your sin. And you need him to grant you freedom to live as he wants you to live. You need that. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know what you need? You still need this gospel. The reason we call it gospel transformation is because it is not something that you just have one moment of and you kind of move on from. It is the well that we dive deep into and draw life from over and over and over again. If you have been walking with Jesus, you know what you need. You need the gospel. You don't need less grace. You need more. You and I need more. Every person in here. I got reminded of this this week. Wednesday night, after a junior high basketball game, I go up 518, trying to get back to the church. It's about just a few minutes after 6. 518 and 45 is a god-awful mess. Who's with me? Yes, so I'm going west on 518, get ready to turn right, go north on the interstate. And uh, uh, there's a line, you know, because it's a parking lot on the feeder road until you can get on. Uh, and, uh, and I, I can, I'm parked in my little, not little, I'm parked in my, it's not little, uh, a Ford SUV, right? And I can see the bottom of the tires of the person in front of me. So, I mean, there's six or so feet, right, between me. And, there, there's not, if they're not pulling up, everybody's at a dead stop. This person in this little silver car, license, no, I won't say that part. <laughs> this person comes in and like swings out and then goes in like this. I'm here and they go in perpendicular to me and then turn their tires back like they're going to do it. I'm telling you, there wasn't 12 inches between me and their door and, and them and the other person. They just decided to make a parking place out of that. And I thought to myself, Jesus has blessed me with a horn. I think I shall use it and employ it in this moment. And I did. With vigor and gusto. And then just to push it a little bit further, because it was six, I don't know, 15 or so by this time, I thought to myself, ha, he's also given me not just lights, but I have bright lights. <laughs> that because they're in some little silver car, when my headlights turn on, it shines just at the right level to put right in the rearview mirror. If I position myself just right, and I did, <laughs> I availed myself of these things. Don't act like you've never done this. <laughs> you know you have. And there at some point, as we made the turn and got on the feeder road, and as we creeped up towards the entrance, some little on my shoulder, Hey, gospel transformation on Sunday, right? Yeah, but we're not talking about it right now. It's still Wednesday. At the end of chapter 5, Jesus says this. 
bless those who curse you. By the way, he didn't say with a horn and your brights. That, that wasn't in the, like genuinely bless them. And so a little tap on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit reminded me, this is what we're talking about right here. This is freedom from the kind of entitlement that says, well, that cost me five extra seconds. Those are my five seconds. How dare you? Everybody in here needs it. He piles up chapter 5 with all of these incredible illustrations. Anger. Lust. Divorce. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no and not manipulating people verbally. Not retaliating. Instead, blessing. He just piles up the rest of chapter 5 with all of these beautiful pictures of what the gospel looks like when it takes root in your life and begins to transform you from the inside out. Because here's the thing. There are all sorts of people who will be glad to sell you a book that says, hey, if you just cave in to the right kind of pressure, you'll become a different person. Jesus is not exerting pressure from the outside. Eventually, folks, that always crushes you. Jesus has taken up residence inside and he is working from the inside out to give life, not only to you, but to everybody around you. Can I just back the truck up and say that one more time? Religion would want everybody to to fall in line in some way and to have obedience that's external as the essence of of what what it looks like for them to be right with God. And, And it would eventually just crush them because of pressure from the outside. That's what it does. Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, he's taken up residence in you and me by his spirit. And he's in the business of changing us from the deepest part of who we are, exerting his will in us and through us so that we begin to want to do what he says is best to do. That's what transformation looks like. That's why it's good news. And it's why everybody in here needs it. Everybody. So you don't have to grit your teeth to do this. One more quick verse from Matthew 13. I mean, you see it in Paul in Philippians. He's not like, ah, well, I kind of had to make the trade for Jesus. He calls it the surpassing worth. Jesus in, in Matthew 13 says it this way, the kingdom of the heavens is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covered back up. And what did he do? Then in, don't miss this, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field because he knows It's a good trade to sell everything in order to get that field. That's that's why it's good news. It's why the message of transformation is good news. So so what what does this look like for us? In light of that, in light of who God has called us to be, who has made us to be, in light of this this value of gospel transformation. What does that look like for you and for me? I'll just give you three things to think about here as we think about go live. Ready? Number one, in your own life, don't settle. Don't settle. What do you mean by that? Settling could sound something like, well, everybody struggles here. It's true. Everybody struggles. Do you want to be like everybody? 
Um, it, could, it could sound like, uh, well, I, I don't think I'll ever um, get over this. I don't think I'll ever be free from this. Do you think that Jesus hung on a cross on a Friday and got up from the dead on a Sunday so that you could live defeated? He's in the business, folks, of changing people's lives from the inside out, of genuinely transforming them. Don't settle. Can you just, I mean, pick one of the favorites from Matthew 5. Anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, letting your yes be yes and your word and your no be no, not, not having to manipulate people with your words. Can you just picture your life without that? Some of us, the great struggle is, I can't picture my life without that. So we have to dig into the Word. We have to be in the Bible and read it and look at the pictures that Jesus is painting for us. We really can live without this. We really don't have to have that. Don't settle. Don't settle for this. Because conformity isn't satisfying. It's not. Secondly, so so when we go live, we're going to walk out of this room and we're not going to settle. Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives and you don't have to be the same person you always have been. Secondly, this this phrase, I don't know how else to say it, but you and I, we would lean in. What do you mean by that? I mean the deeper we go in the transformational message of the gospel, the higher the heat gets inside of us. What do you mean? I mean this, uh, that when... The, the message, the message of transformation, the message of the good news of Jesus, when that takes root in us, things begin to change. When we sing things like, faithful you are, faithful you forever, you will be, all your promises are yes and amen. Something deep down inside of us goes, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's something that starts kind of burning in there and out comes something that's, maybe short of just a ferocious roar, but it is definitely north of, yeah, that's nice. As we go deeper into the gospel, like if you come in and you're like, yeah, worship's kind of bland today, I just want to encourage you, think about this. It may be, it may be us, okay? That's fine. You think about you, though. Like, is your heart stirred with the good news of the transformational power of Jesus in your life? Lean into that. Lean into that. And lastly, as we go out and we live, as we go live, this phrase, and I just can't, I can't, how about, let me say it this way. It has not let go of me. Not so much that I haven't let go of it. It's just, it has not let go of me. That we would speak up. Here's the challenge. If you're in sixth grade right now or above, raise your hand. No, 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 keep your hands up. Some of you are in like 72nd grade. Raise your hand, all of you. It's like your fifth, fifth, fifth visit to 72nd grade. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Six right and above. What if, we, what if we made it our goal, everybody with their hand raised, to share the gospel with somebody before 2020 comes around? What if we, those of us with our hands raised, said, we believe in the transformational power of Jesus so much that we've got classmates and roommates and workmates and cube mates and everybody other kind of mates who need the good news of Jesus. And we, we made it our goal to share the gospel. We would go live. 
and it would come out of us at some point. Jesus promised that it would. Did you know that? In Matthew 5, look at verse 14. Excuse me, 13. You are the salt of the earth. You don't have to become that. You already are. Can we just pause for just a second? I didn't do this in the 830 service, but, but just listen. Who's he talking to here? You think he's talking to a bunch of perfect people? Just skip back up to chapter 4. Look at verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him the sick, those afflicted with diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then he honks off the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to those same people. So he's looking at a guy who five minutes ago had a demon and he says to you, hey, by the way, you're the salt of the earth. Do what? If you think, hey, man, I got to kind of get my act together before I go start doing these. Listen to me. Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives. And as soon as he begins that process in you, you know what he does? He kicks you out the door and says, go live. You are the salt of the earth. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. Five minutes ago, I was just dominated by darkness, and now the transforming power of the good news of Jesus has set me free, and I am the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in the heavens. We go live. And as we go live and do the things that God has told us to do, we will stand out. It will be different. And that difference will invite a conversation that all of you, including me, who just had our hands raised, who are going to be challenged to share the gospel before this year is out, guess what? They will ask. This difference really does. I mean, you think about our world. If you lived without anger, you think you'd be any different? You lived without lust. You think you'd be any different? If your word was yes and no instead of, well, let me do You think you'd be different? This week, in case you didn't notice, there's been a lot of uh, renovation work on the office hallway, the admin hallway down there. At one point, we took off the 40-plus-year-old paneling, which that was a good move, uh, and it was an interesting process. We got all that down, and it was just old sheetrock and glue where it had held up. Um, the sheetrock was so old, the paper was brown. Let's just leave it at that, okay? It was, it was hilarious. Every, we still had our His Kids preschool program here, the, day, uh, the, the weekday preschool program. And so the kids would be dropped off, and they'd, they'd step into the hallway. It was like, what is going on here? Every kid, what happened to the walls? And we came up with some funny explanations. We chased a dragon down the hall, and this is what happened. I mean, we did all sorts of stuff. Like at one, at one every kid who asked, I would just ask back, well, they were fine just a minute ago. Did you break them? Okay. One point, I took a pink marks a lot, and I drew a smiley face right outside my office, just about their eye level. So they'd walk by and be like, oh, there's a smiley face on the wall. I'd be like, what? There is? Did you draw it? Did you? Did you? It was hilarious. We had a great time. Here's the kicker, though. Three, twos, threes, fours, every one of them. They walked down the hall going, something's different here. You think of little ones notice this kind of thing that a spiritually clueless person would notice when you live so radically differently that they would say, something's different here. 
they will. And we would then speak up. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine before men. They may see good works and glorify your Father, the one who is in the heavens. Speak up. It all starts with the gospel, this good news that Jesus has defeated sin and death, and that he's in charge of the world. We, we do two things as a church family to consistently remind ourselves of this. Next week, we'll do one of them. We'll baptize somebody. They go down into the water. Jesus has gone down into the grave, carrying our sins far away. Come out of the water. Reminder that Jesus is alive today, giving life and freedom to everybody who puts their trust in him. That's one thing. Second one we're doing today. First Sunday of every month, we pause, interrupt ourselves intentionally to celebrate communion. Take these little elements and remind ourselves this is a great, incredible story, and it is worth sharing. So I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward.